Well, what a week it's been, huh? You believe it's only been four full days since 1 o'clock Wednesday morning? <laughs> Seems like it's been several months. A year and a half or two ago, I preached a sermon Sunday morning on unity, and I let it rip about us walking in love and relationship and communion and unity, forgiving each other and being one. And, and uh, after second service, I gathered up my papers and I began to step down the steps and right about here, Jesus, loud and clear inside of me, said, I am coming to divide like never before. I knew that it wasn't me because it shocked me. And it scared me, and it wasn't Mitch Coaston thinking. I, one of my litmus tests for how do I hear the voice of God inside me is, do I want that to be true or not? <laughs> if, if I wish it to be true, then I have to give it a little time and pray about it and decide. But if it's not what I was thinking, if it's not even necessarily what I agree with, or if I don't understand it, and all of a sudden this thought just jumps into my head that I don't understand and I wasn't thinking and I wasn't wishing it to be true, I know that's Jesus. And I had just, I had preached a rip-roaring sermon about unity and Jesus says, I'm coming to divide like never before. The other litmus test we have to ask if you think you've heard the Lord is, is there scripture to match that? You have to. Non-negotiable. Is there scripture to match that? Well, absolutely. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace, I bring a sword. And I'm going to divide parents from their kids and husbands and from their wives. He has the parable of the sheep and the goats. He divides people. His division, if he does it, it's good. And unity, trying to unify against the division of Jesus, is from hell. It's a counterfeit unity. Yeah, I don't know if I'm with you there now, Mitch. If Jesus comes to divide, then I say amen. amen. I say yes, sir. You know, matter how bad it hurts, right? His division is never to cause fighting between husband and wife or offense between children and parents. It is to divide his people out from the world. That is always what his division is, is to bring holiness. But just like with him, that brings rejection. The, the division that Jesus brings is the rejection of the world. Hello? The division that Jesus brings, the division that is holy, the division that is correct, the division that is godly is light and dark. Holiness and unholiness. And it is never us bringing pride or blame or accusation or not even politics against the world, it is, are you being holy? At all costs, even division amongst your closest relationships, are you going to follow me? Are you willing to give up whatever the other person demands in order to follow me? So it is scriptural. It is biblical. Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. And the only true unity is between his people in the kingdom of heaven. That's all there can be. Anything else is a counterfeit. Anything else is a lie. 
anything else is politics. It is, I'll use you and let you use me. And we'll work together. That's politics, not unity. Hello. All right. I see the cogs turning. A few of you got smoke coming out your ears. All right, we'll get there. So Jesus says, I'm coming to divide like never before. So at first I thought I was getting rebuked for what I just preached. Oh, no. I let it rip. Was I wrong? And I, then I began to realize that wasn't the case. So then I began to be afraid about what's going to happen in our church. Oh, no, Jesus, please, no. We've lived, too many of us have lived through too much church splitting. It's, it's terrible. And, and what does this mean, Lord? And, and it was nothing uh, at all about the church, even, congregationally, being divided. It, and I still don't even pretend to know what it is that he means, except that I understand it scripturally. I don't understand it specifically in our case. I just know that what he means, when he says, I come to divide, it is, it is, I come to bring a sword, and I am dividing my sheep out of the goats. I am pulling the tares out of the wheat field. The toxic weeds have got to come out so that my wheat is pure. The spots have got to be washed off of my bride. And so there is a division uh, that Jesus brings that brings holiness. That is actually the division, I would say, is the result of our being holy. Then the world rejects us, but it's the division that Jesus embraces. And it is a holy division, not of offense or hatred or blame or accusation or political disagreement or doctrinal disagreement. None of that is Jesus. It is it is a division of I will be holy and I will do what Jesus commands me to do regardless of what it costs me. So, so Daniel 4.17, I read this scripture to you last week and we prayed about the election and we prayed for God's will to happen. Daniel 4.17 says, In order that the living may know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and he gives it to whomever he will and he sets over it the lowest of men. We read that verse, a bunch of you said amen, we prayed for God's will to happen, and we got what we got on Tuesday night. The spectrum of response has been jaw-dropping. I told you in August that if Trump was elected, there would be riots that make Ferguson look like elementary school recess. That hasn't happened yet, but the riots are there. It's been very upsetting to see. But I told you it would happen, I knew it would, and anyway, I just, it's, here we are. The spectrum from how could this happen, I'm going to kill myself, to this is revival, this is righteousness, this is God, and go America. So I'm here to ask this morning, I'm certainly not here to tell you how to think or feel about his election, Uh, I'm just here to ask the question as a congregation, how do we respond? How, how do we, because the spectrum of response is jaw-dropping. The emotion on both sides is super hot. Uh, how do we think about this? I'm not here to talk about Trump or Clinton or even America. I'm here to talk about how do we, the people of God, respond to this? How do we think about all the different issues? And so, Daniel 4.17 says, God rules. And he gives authority to whoever he will. 
even to the lowest of men. So some of you might think Trump is the lowest of men. It's still God. Those of you who liked the fact that Obama was elected and are unhappy about this, you can't say either in the democratic process or in the will of God, whether you approach it either way. You can't say one's legitimate and the other's not. And those of you who are happy about this outcome and would use this scripture to justify that, you, you got you to gotta admit Obama must have been God's man too. Ouch. <laughs> that one stings, but you got to admit it. Romans 13.1 says the same thing. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. The authorities that exist are appointed by God. The authorities that exist are appointed by God. I know that opens up some doors to some big questions. So did God appoint Hitler? Did God appoint Kim Jong-un? I understand that. But when Paul wrote that, Nero was the ruler of Rome, and he was dipping Christians in tar and lighting them on fire to light his courtyard while he had parties. And Paul says, all authority is from God. The Roman authorities were not appointed or elected. Our, I'm sorry, were not appointed by God. They, were, they inherited their authority or they killed the previous guy to get, put themselves in charge. It doesn't look like in any natural sense that our authorities are appointed by God. We elect who we elect. But the Bible makes it clear. God appoints all authority. Even in the timeline of history and the movement of elections and campaigns and politics and wars and coups and assassinations, and God's in charge. I understand that makes more questions than answers. It certainly does for me. I'm not here to answer any questions, just so you know. Could probably more of you leave dissatisfied than satisfied this morning. The authorities that exist are appointed by God. That's it. So how do we respond if we believe that Scripture is true and our trust is in God and we prayed last Sunday for God's will to be done and I know that many, 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 many of you have been praying for a long time and here's what we got. And some of you are thrilled and some, of them, some people are despondent or worse. Um, the responses and well, there was rioting started in Portland within a, before it was, the election was even declared. They just knew what was going to happen, and there was already people burning flags and marching in the street and shouting, not my president, and whatever. Those, there's people who are, are in real panic and, and despair over this. Not exactly certain why, other than they've been lied to by the leftist media for so long that they believe that he... Obama, that Trump is actually homophobic when he waves the rainbow flag very publicly. In 2000, he was at, interviewed by Advocate Magazine, which is the gay lifestyle magazine. In 2000, he came out in favor of gay marriage, 12 years before Hillary would say anything about it publicly. So I don't think the LBGBT crowd has anything to fear. He's not pro-life. 
So the abortion rights, women's rights crowd on the left, they don't have anything to fear. He's never, ever been against abortion. He's said some things to move to the right in the campaign, but they all do. Republicans and Democrats have to promise things more conservatively than who they actually are. Uh, he's not going to try to outlaw abortion. or He's never, ever been called a racist before he ran against Hillary. In his book, he talks about Rosa Parks being his personal hero and that while she was still alive, he went and visited her. He's, he's got a son who's an Orthodox Jew. He's got a or son-in-law that's an Orthodox Jew. He's got many black and Hispanic employees that love him. He got more Hispanic vote than any Republican in U.S. history. Because, and I heard one of them interviewed on CNN no less. And he says, the reason we voted for him is because us who are here legally understand the problem of illegal immigration, and we want it stopped. He said, more than anyone else, we face the pressures of wages and job competition from people who are here illegally. He said, there's no wonder Trump got the most Hispanic vote ever of any Republican. He's not racist. So I really, I really don't understand the fear, the abject panic. I can understand immature people throwing a fit, but I don't understand the genuine fear that is out there. I know that a lot of you have major question marks, red flags, concerns about his morality in his mouth, <laughs> his bully tactics as a businessman, the fact that he has five children with four different women. I, I, I understand you have problems with him personally. I understand that you have problems with him with policy and, and where he stands on, on certain issues. and So, so I get all that. Um, I really do. I've never said anything from the pulpit, but during the primaries, I was vocal enough against Trump on Facebook and in private conversations. I was a Ted Cruz guy. I would have been very happy with Scott Walker or Rick Perry. I'd have been okay with Ben Carson. Once it got down to Ted Cruz, I was Ted Cruz guy. Uh, I was pretty vocal against Trump in favor of Ted Cruz to the point that I was alienating people in the church who thought Trump was the right one. I didn't even know it. I just, sorry about that. But once Trump became the, the nominee, he really did begin to win me over. Uh, he said some things that I thought were good. I still have question marks about how his policies are going to play out. Um, but I know that many of you did not vote Clinton or Trump. Uh, I know that quite a few voted for Trump with no conscience problem whatsoever. Um, I'll just, just so you know, I did. Just let you know where I'm at. Uh, you can love me or hate me. I know that many of you are just relieved we don't have a President Hillary. Like that, I don't care what else, just not her. I understand that. I understand that people are all over the map, even in this room. I understand that. Just for complete, transparent, lay it out on the table, I was not a fan of Trump, but I voted for him. Just so you know where I'm coming from. I can't say that before the election. It's illegal for me to do it in my position, but I can now. Um, and then I see, I see relief that Clinton was not elected. And then I see on the far 
end of the other spectrum, I see elation. Like, this is the best thing that's ever happened to America. This is wonderful. This is revival. This is righteousness. Yay, raw. America is reborn. So, how do we, as the people of God, how do we think about this? How do we respond even amongst each other? Because there are people who have thought Trump was the answer from the very beginning. There are other people that voted for him because they had to, and there's people who's like, no way, never. Trump is right down there next to Lucifer. And, uh, and they're all in this room. So, so how, do we, how do we think? How do we respond to each other and to the election? So I want to share some scripture with you to address this. Since Tuesday, I don't know exactly when, but since Tuesday, Franklin Graham came out and said, Christians prayed, Christians voted, God showed up. That's, that's exact words. God showed up. And I know that some of you in the room are like, really? <laughs> this was God? <laughs> I give it to whomever I want. Franklin Graham was not the only one. Even before the elections, even back in the primaries, there were big-time Christian leaders, authors, preachers, prophets, who were saying Trump is God's man. And I was mortally offended when Benny Johnson came out and said and endorsed Trump that she's the wife of Bill Johnson at Reading at Bethel Church I was really unhappy like how in the world can you say that she she had to because her husband can't because he's a pastor so it's illegal for us to endorse candidates ahead of time but she did she's like, and, and and nobody was saying that this is a this is a godly man they were just saying this is God's man and so it was Rick Joyner and Lance Wallnow and James Robison, quite a few others that I could name. I don't know if any of you all would know. Chuck Pierce, Dutch Sheets. The prophets were saying, this is God's man. And lots of godly leaders are in endorsing this guy that other Christians find completely nauseating. How can we, how do we do this? So how do we respond? Was it God or was it democracy? Run amok. All right, so I just want to give you some scripture. So let's start with something Jesus said. Let me come at it this way. The rioters in Portland and Seattle that are out there burning flags and smashing windows, they trashed the Toyota dealership, 20-some cars, smashed beyond insurance repairs, closing down the interstate, and, and uh, there's even been shootings in Seattle and People beat up. Saw a video of a man who'd been voted for Trump, and I don't know how they knew, but he had maybe had a bumper sticker or something. A mob hauled him out of his car and beat him up and then stole his car. So let me just say, real plain and clear, those people doing those things are not God's people. That's not Jesus. That's not how Jesus told us to behave. Jesus said, if God is not your father, Satan is your father. Those are Satan's people doing those things. Are you with me? So, Jesus said, Satan's kingdom cannot be divided against itself. 
Jesus said, Satan's kingdom, when they accused him of being Lucifer, he said, Satan's kingdom cannot be divided against itself. So one of my tests, when I'm trying to figure out what God is doing, I look and see who's mad about what happened. Hello? If Satan's people are throwing a fit, which they are, then it might be God. That's not an answer, it's a clue. It's not an answer, it's a clue. Is who is upset about this? Are people who have a sinful agenda happy that this happened or unhappy that this happened? That tells me, is God in this or not? Hello? Okay, another scripture. So there's one. Jesus said, Satan's kingdom cannot be divided against itself. Another scripture that has come up in conversations with you, quite a few of you actually, individually before the election, is discussing these endorsements by well-respected public large ministry people saying that Donald Trump is is God's man and uh, and and several of you ask how could that possibly be true he is so immoral he's so not palatable he's uh, he's got so much controversy and issues surrounding him and something that came up multiple times is Nebuchadnezzar and Cyrus and I want to show you the scriptures uh, about this and, and not to tell you what to think, but just to present the scripture to you. I'll give you a history lesson of the Bible, and then and I just want to show you what God will do. Okay? I'm not saying he did it in this case, just what God will do. From King David all the way down through Israel and Judah's history until the last king in 586 B.C. Israel and Judah are the kingdoms of the Israelites. They started out together and they had a civil war and they split into two different kingdoms and they had two capitals and two kings and the Bible traces this history. And the Old Testament prophets, Elisha, Elijah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, um, all of the prophets that we have in our Bible, they had two jobs and they only had two jobs and they all did both of these. Their job was to stand before the people and rebuke them for sin and call them back to obeying and worshiping the one and only true God. And they were instructed by God to go and stand in front of evil kings and rebuke them and tell them to obey God. It was the entirety of the Old Testament prophet ministry was to call people to righteousness and to rebuke kings for leading wickedness. And all of these prophets, all through this 500-year period, were unsuccessful in calling Israel back to holiness. There was temporary revivals under certain righteous kings. But overall, the Israelites continued to turn from God. They continued to chase other gods and worship other idols. They refused to obey God alone and worship him alone. So God eventually brought the Assyrian army and they wiped out Samaria, which was the capital of Israel. The ten Israelite tribes were wiped out in 722, I think, B.C. And then there's still more prophets warning Judah, if you don't repent, God is going to wipe us off the map. And they did not repent. They refused to obey God. And so in 586 B.C., the Babylonian army shows up. Babylon is in now what is now Iraq. The army marched across to what is now Israel, and they came to Jerusalem, and they leveled the city. They killed the men, raped the women, castrated the boys, hauled off the boys and girls as slaves, and that's Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. It's Jeremiah was an older man when this happened. I believe Isaiah had died before it happened, but just 
shortly. Uh, that's the people in the Bible who were alive in this time. They were hauled off to Babylon as captives. And Jeremiah, for his entire adult life, he was called when he, to be a prophet when he was, we believe, about 15 or 16. The Spirit of the Lord came on Jeremiah and said, Speak to my people. And he says, I'm just a teenager. And God says, Speak. And his, the entire book of Jeremiah can be reduced to three sentences. The Babylonian army is coming. It's God. Submit and live, fight or die. Fight and die. If you submit to this, you will live. If you resist it, you will die. That's the entire book of Jeremiah. Is that Nebuchadnezzar coming to destroy Jerusalem was God. And here is what God says about Nebuchadnezzar. Jeremiah 25, 8-9. Therefore thus says the Lord of hosts, Because you have not heard my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, says the Lord. And Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land, against its inhabitants, and against these nations all around, and will utterly destroy them and make them a horror, a curse, and a perpetual desolation. God calls Nebuchadnezzar a totally pagan, demon-possessed madman. God calls him my servant. What he is doing is me. Next, Jeremiah 27. I've made the earth and the man and the beast that are on the ground by my great power and my might stretched arm and have given it to whom it seemed proper to me. There it is again. I give it to whom it seems proper to me. And I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. And the beasts of the field I have also given him to serve him. So all nations shall serve him and his son and his son's son until the time his land comes. And then many nations and great kings shall make him serve them. And it shall be that the nation and kingdom which will not serve Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and which will not put its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, that nation I will punish. God says of Nebuchadnezzar, one of the most arrogant, evil guys in all the Old Testament, besides maybe Ahab and Jezebel, God says he's my servant, I give him this authority, and if you do not submit, you will die. Wow. My point here is not that Trump is Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> My point is that God has precedent in picking ungodly men to use to do his godly purposes, even without them knowing it. So if you think Trump is down there with Lucifer, he could still be God's choice. I don't think that. I'm not saying that. I'm saying if you have these major moral concerns about him, I am not saying he is a godly man. But he's could be the man of God. Could be. Jury's still out on that. Give you more scripture. Next one. Ezekiel, another prophet, says the same thing. During the 27th year of King Jehoiachin's captivity, this message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, the army of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon fought so hard against Tyre that their warriors' heads were rubbed bare and their shoulders were raw and blistered. Yet Nebuchadnezzar and his army won no plunder to compensate them for all their work. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I will give the land of Egypt to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. He will carry off its wealth and plundering everything it is so he can pay his army. Yes, I have given him the land of Egypt as a reward for his work, says the sovereign Lord, because he was working for me. I'm not saying Trump is Nebuchadnezzar. I'm not saying God has given us a demonized madman for our president. 
I am only saying there is precedent for those of you who have moral qualms that, well, God wouldn't use a man who's ungodly. Yes, he would. He's worked in everybody's life all through history. And he says, every king is my choice. So every president, every king, every governor, every mayor, every school principal is God's choice. And he put them there on purpose. And most of the people he's worked with in world history have not obeyed him. I'm not defending Trump in any way. I'm just saying there is precedent for God picking people to use who don't obey him. Or didn't even know they were being picked (laughs) by God. So, Nebuchadnezzar is called my servant three times by Jeremiah. Ezekiel says what he did is God's work. And God is going to bless him for it. Even though he had no idea. We know that he had some run-ins with God through Daniel. It was twice at the fiery furnace. And after he woke up from seven years of thinking he was a cow, he he did. He went insane for seven years and crawled around on his hands and knees and ate grass with his cows. And the royal guards are out there guarding the king while he's mooing and eating grass. He went insane. And And the Bible says God struck him with insanity because of his pride. But God told him it would only last seven years then I will restore your kingdom to you. And he did. But both of those times, Nebuchadnezzar humbled himself and gave glory to the real God. Daniel's God, the God of heaven, the only real God. Nebuchadnezzar had a hard forehead, but he found out God's was harder. So he did have run-ins with God. Okay, so Nebuchadnezzar brought the Israelites, the children of Judah, from Jerusalem, and they were held captive as, ref- not <laughs> refugees, but as captives, for 70 years in Babylon, and there were four kings of Babylon, and then we come to the Bible story of the handwriting on the wall. King Belshazzar, who's four kings after Nebuchadnezzar, he's getting drunk one night and partying with the holy drinking vessels of the temple that they had taken 70 years before, and the handwriting comes on the wall, and there's the writing, many, many tickle you farsin, and nobody can explain it, and Daniel is now an older man, and he is called, and he tells King Belshazzar, you have been found weighed in the you have been weighed in the balance and found wanting and God is going to kill you and take your kingdom this very night. It's not in the Bible, but as he was speaking, there was an army tunneling under the city wall of Babylon. They were actually swimming in through a sewer pipe. (laughs) And within just minutes or hours of Daniel telling Belshazzar, God is going to kill you this very night and take your kingdom, the army of the Medes and Persians, which is what is today Iran, and Babylon is today Iraq. So it was Iran invading Iraq. The Medes and Persians came in, and they killed Belshazzar, fought and destroyed the city, or didn't destroy it, but they conquered the city of Babylon. The Persian king named Cyrus is now in charge. Cyrus had been prophesied 200 years earlier by Isaiah, I'm rounding, but around 200 years earlier, Isaiah had prophesied that a man named Cyrus would come to be a deliverer of Israel. Here's the scripture. Written more than 100, less than 200 years before it actually happened. Isaiah 44 and 45. Thus says the Lord your Redeemer, and he who formed you from the womb... I am the Lord who makes all things, who stretches out the heavens all alone, 
who spreads abroad the earth by myself, who frustrates the signs of the babblers and drives diviners mad, who turns wise men backward and makes their knowledge foolishness, who confirms the word of his servant and performs the counsel of his messengers, who says of Cyrus, this is before Cyrus's grandpa was born, who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and he shall perform all my pleasure, saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built and to the temple your foundation shall be laid. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held, to subdue nations before him and loose the armor of kings, to open before him the double doors so that the gates will not be shut. I will go before you and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches and secret places so that you may know that I, the Lord, who call you by your name, am the God of Israel. For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, my elect, I have even called you by your name. I named you, though you have not known me. And then in verse 13, I myself have stirred Cyrus to action to fulfill my purpose and put things right. I will straighten every road that he travels, and I will rebuild my city, Jerusalem, and set my captive people free. No one has hired him or bribed him to do this, says the Lord Almighty has spoken. Cyrus at the time was loved. He was a great king. He was a liberator to a lot of people that Babylon had hauled off in captivity. It wasn't just the Israelites. They conquered everybody, the Assyrians and the Lebanese and the Egyptians, and they conquered, and they hauled them all off as captives and made them slaves. When Cyrus came in and defeated Babylon, he set them all free. He said, go home. So they did. Ezra went home. It's the book of Ezra. Zerubbabel went home. Nehemiah went home. They rebuilt Jerusalem. They rebuilt their temple. They rebuilt their city. Cyrus was a great liberator. Uh, historians are unanimous that he was a very wise, benevolent, great king. But from a perspective of an Orthodox Old Testament Jew who has the word of God and the laws of God that says Yahweh God is the only God, Cyrus worshipped lots of gods and it did not include Yahweh. Hello? In fact, Cyrus had a reputation for being so egalitarian that when he would go in and conquer a land, he would not destroy the enemy temples. He would go in and make sacrifices to the enemy gods so that to make sure that he didn't make them mad. So Cyrus literally worshipped thousands of gods. But Isaiah says he is God's anointed. That word is Messiah. Not capital M, not Jesus, but he is God's Messiah to deliver Israel. God says of Cyrus, you don't know me, but I know you. And I'm going to use you for my purposes, which is my people. I'm not saying that Trump is Cyrus. I'm just saying God has a precedent for picking people that don't worship him, that don't know him, to accomplish his purposes in government. That's all I'm saying. Trump is not Nebuchadnezzar. He's not Cyrus. Nebuchadnezzar was horrible. Cyrus was awesome. I don't know what Trump is going to be. I am only saying for those of you who have this, oh, this couldn't possibly be God. Yes, it could. Yes, it could. If your objection is Trump's mouth <laughs> and his morality and his personality and his history and his reputation and his character... The you're fired Trump is not the real Trump. 
I'm not here to say I don't. I I'm not here to publicly say yes. I agree with Franklin Graham and Rick Joyner and Bill Johnson that this is God's guy. But there's no reason to say it couldn't happen just because he's not a Christian. So for those of you who are rejoicing and saying yes, this is God and He's going to set America right and straight, I say, President Trump cannot change any of the rioters' hearts. Only Jesus can do that. And America is as broken as we were a week and a half ago. Our culture is as full of death and rot and filth as it was a week and a half ago. A righteous leader does bring righteousness to a nation. And we pray that he makes righteous decisions. But he can't change anybody's heart. He isn't our Savior. But for those of you who are upset or afraid, I say... It could be God. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. God has something up his sleeve. So I, I just said it could be God, but the scripture says it is true. The Lord rules on high and he gives it to whomever he will. And he did. So if we say that our faith is in God, that means we don't put our faith in a President Trump and we do put our faith in God. And we believe that this is his will and that we follow him and we trust him. Our hope is never in a President Trump. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. But for those of you who are appalled at a President Trump, I say, if you really trust God and you believe his word, then we have to believe that this was God's choice. And God knows what he's doing. If you go back and put the name Trump in those Cyrus scriptures in Isaiah, it's actually jaw-dropping. He says, I picked you. He says, I know you, you did not know me. He says, I stirred you up to do this. No one has paid for you. (laughs) Has that ever happened besides Ross Perot? That we had a candidate who wasn't bought and paid for, in the case of Clinton, even by foreign governments. No one has hired him or bribed him to do this. God says, I shut up the babblers. Who are the babblers of 2016 America? It's all the talking heads on TV that babbled for a year and a half about how Hillary was going to win. And God says, ah, God says, I turned the wisdom of the wise back on themselves. Clinton didn't even bother to write a concession speech. They were so certain she was going to win. God says, ha ha. You people who think you're so smart. God says, I make the, I drive the diviners mad. What are diviners? They're people who try to predict the future. Who's that? The pollsters. Come on. I drive the pollsters mad. They can predict whatever they want, but I do what I want. I mean, it's jaw dropping. You go back and read this passage and you put Trump in there. It's like, whoa, could it be? Really, God? Really? Is this you? Could be. Could be. At a bare minimum, I just love watching God mess with everybody. I just love it. I love, I love people who think they know what's going on getting humbled. It's fun. So, what do we do? How do we respond? We respond in faith. 
as always. When Obama was elected, we had to respond in faith. When Trump is elected, we have to respond in faith. Come on. Faith is our answer. We believe that God has done this because his word says that he did and that he does every time. And the church in history has had to face horrendous governments and great governments. And wonderful things have happened and horrendously evil things have happened. But the church of Jesus Christ must be the church of Jesus Christ. Come on. 1 Timothy 2, 1-4. Therefore I exhort first that all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God's command to us, his people, is you pray for all those in authority. You pray for the peace of the church. We pray blessing on our nation. We ask for God's guidance on our new president. Can you pray for those things? Regardless of whether you're happy with the outcome or not, our response as the people of God is to proceed with faith and to proceed with prayer and to be the church. We cannot get distracted with the idol of politics. This verse says you pray for your authorities so that you can live in peace and do what I want, which is win people to Jesus. And I am as guilty as anyone else, but I dare you to go back and look at your news feed on, or your own page on Facebook for the last year and how many times did you make political posts versus how many times did you invite your friends to get saved. You care more about your guns and your Republicans than you do Jesus. You hate Obama and Clinton more than you love Jesus. I'm as guilty as the next guy. But our work was never to get somebody elected or not. Our work is to bring people into the kingdom of heaven. That is why we pray for our authorities, so that we can have peace to get our job done. Come on. Jesus did not die for our gun rights. Good governments come and go. Bad governments come and go. The church of Jesus Christ has got to keep being the church of Jesus Christ. Thank God we live in America. Thank God for all of the sacrifice of blood and sweat and tears that our forefathers and foremothers paid that we can inherit what we have. Sarah and I have cried hot tears for what we're losing and what the heritage that's being robbed and lied about to us in modern day America. I am as for guns as anybody else in Eastern Oregon. I love my freedom of speech. I love my right to a trial. I love my freedom of religion. But it will go. All governments come and go. And we must stand firm as the church of Jesus. We are not standing on the foundation of the U.S. Constitution. We are standing on the foundation of the Word of God. In no way do I say that we just shut up and poke our heads in our little churches and just take care of that business. I understand. We've got to be light. We've got to be salt. We've got to speak the truth, and we should oppose all evil. Speak up against abortion. Speak up against sin in our laws and unrighteousness in our nation. You know me, you know. I don't ever think we shouldn't be involved. But the priority of our heart has got to be the kingdom of God. Don't die on a political cross. 
If you're going to give your life, you give your life for Jesus. Not for your gun rights. Or for a candidate. I'm not talking about our law officers and soldiers and all that. God bless you all. It's the highest honor for that. I'm talking about our heart, the priority of our hearts. That Jesus reigns, not the idol of our own political rights or some candidate or some government desire that we have. God says, pray for your peace so that you can work for what I want, which is all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. President Trump isn't going to change anybody's heart. He may change some minds, but he isn't going to change anybody's heart. That's our job. In Christ, that's our job. Lord, we love you. We bless you. We praise your name. We declare our allegiance to you. We thank you so much that we were born in this time in the United States. Thank you for the heritage that you gave us of freedom and godly righteousness. Thank you for the blood and sweat and tears given by our forefathers and our foremothers that we could inherit what we have. We love our country and we bless our government. We bless our new president. But Lord, we understand that our allegiance is to you, that we are first citizens of your kingdom, and that it is out of love for you and your purposes that we do all that we do. We don't have an agenda. We don't do what we do in selfishness, but we speak up and we preach and we talk and we vote and we campaign for what is right, because you say it's right, not because we have some agenda. Lord, we, do, we pledge our allegiance to you, to your kingdom. Thank you for adopting us into your family, for making us citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Forgive us for worshiping at the idol of politics, for being selfish in our choices, for not having your eternal and heavenly perspective. Lord, make us worthy to be citizens of your kingdom. Lord, we do thank you so much for what we have and what we have inherited. And we do want to fight for righteousness and truth and justice in America. And we bless our new president. We ask you to surround him with voices of righteousness and godliness. That the cabinet positions he picks and judges, Lord, would be men and women who know you, who know your word, who will bring righteousness back to America, who will value freedom. Lord, we ask your blessing on our new president. Lord, may you open the double door before him. If he, even if he does not know you, Lord, he claims to, but there are question marks about that. Lord, if he does not know you, we ask you to save his soul. Reveal yourself to him and make his salvation real. Lord, if he does know you, we ask for maturity of faith, humility, the righteousness to come to him, Lord. Now may he surround himself with people who you would give authority to make decisions for our country, to lead us 
according to your will. Because, Lord, we want to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We have no other agenda but your kingdom and your government. For your purposes for this new president be fulfilled. Not his own agenda, not a party agenda, not our agenda, but yours. What are your purposes that you have given him this authority? Lord, we ask you to fulfill your word and shut the mouth of the accuser. Stop anyone who would oppose your will from getting accomplished in his presidency, whatever that may be. Thank you, Lord, that no matter what happens, we can trust you. Even as we disagree amongst ourselves on what is good and right and wise, we trust you. You have never failed us, and you never will. We stand on the rock-solid foundation of your word, of your salvation, of your promises. And we, our only hope is in you. So we trust you, and we bless him, and we bless our country. Make us a blessing to those that you would have us to serve and support. In Jesus' name.